It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Bottom of the hour, the man that wants to be governor of Texas, Republican Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, will be with us shortly in about, yeah, I guess 30 minutes. Uh, But straight ahead, Senator Cynthia Lummis will be here, Republican out of Wyoming. Uh, and she's going to be talking about this huge infrastructure bill that is set to pass the Senate sometime in the middle of our show. We'll discuss all that. Keep in mind, if you ever miss the show, you want the podcast, do it. Uh, just go to anywhere you get your podcast. Also, BrianKillMeatShow.com. You can just download it from there, uh, FoxNewPodcast.com. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The fact of the matter is that we've had 38 officers shot at in the city of Chicago since Lori Lightfoot uh, has been mayor this year alone. The lesson that we've learned is that the only thing more dangerous than the gangbangers and criminals on the streets of the city of Chicago is Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Enough. The war on crime has flipped to war on cops, and they're not going to take it anymore. For that, I'm relieved. Nor are you as law and order, to, uh, nor are you, as I understand, law and order and disorder reigns nationwide. I think things are beginning to come back into line because things have to get worse before they get better. Is it time to push back? I say yes. Number two. Yesterday, we saw Senate Democrats unveil their plans for $3.5 trillion, the human side of infrastructure. That's the part that changes government permanently. The once you have pre-K for everyone, once you add some of those, like they're not going to go away. That's how you have a legacy presidency. Yeah, that's what it is. Uh, get us involved in programs we can't afford. Fantastic. Mike Allen of Axios saying the facts. Infrastructure is about to pass with 20 Republicans joining Democrats. But what's in the Senate package and what does Senator Schumer plan to do with his own package that is at least $3.5 trillion, which is probably a lot more. For the country, it could not be worse. Number one. The data comes out very clear on this. If you're between the ages of 25 and 54, the deaths per 100,000 are still very, very low. The White House doesn't want to give that information because their entire goal is zero COVID. So Joe Biden can run around saying that he solved the pandemic. There you go. Byron Donald saying it again. Delta variant rises. Mass mania heats up in our schools and group gatherings are being scrutinized as hypocrisy reigns supreme from the squad to Obama's birthday bash. This is the controversies are raging all around the world and the lab leak theory gains more credibility and more supporters. All things pandemic coming your way. That's where we'll start. We know that kids are getting the virus, the Delta variant, more than they were getting the virus. Why do they have a greater percentage? Couple of reasons. Number one, it's uh, it is more contagious, yes, and less lethal, true. And the reason why there's more kids because there's more seniors vaccinated. Almost all of them are. I think 85 percent of seniors because they know they're in that prime area. But the question is, should parents be in control of their kids and what they go to school with? I mean, we give them school bags, you give them supplies. You make sure that you go show up for parent teacher conferences. But when it comes to putting on masks, should you be in control a year and a half? into this pandemic. I say yes. So does the governor of Texas. So does the governor of Mississippi. So does the governor of Florida. Dr. Anthony Fauci, when asked point blank by you, Hewitt, 
about the dangers and the worries that parents have on the, the effect of masks on their kids from the acne, from the fact that they don't wear it right, from the fact that they're breathing in more carbon dioxide, the fact that many of them can't learn effectively covering their face, let alone the real young ones that can't read emotion, for over a year. Cut one. It's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we all of a sudden said, okay, kids, don't wear masks. And then you find out retrospectively that this virus, in a very, very strange and unusual way, is really hitting kids really hard. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on them. Well, I think at this point you have to consider that too. Since you're doing every interview in the world, could you possibly finance the impact of masks on kids? We've been in this for a year and a half. It's estimated you have a $40 billion budget. You're the most powerful guy in this administration and the highest paid, by the way. Well, I think more than the president. Why can't you put some money into finding out the effects of masks on kids? It would make you a better guest. It would make you a better doctor. Why don't you demand the CDC do that? You have that ability. But they're going to use this as a way to shut down schools and to inhibit kids. I was shocked at this. Stanford did a study, and they found try to find out why kids aren't going back to school. And it's pretty amazing. Even though the, the cases are going up, it turns out— that in 33 states, 10,000 kids' schools lost 20% of their kindergartners, and a half of which are between three, four, and five-year-olds. So I guess some preschool mixed in there. Because parents have seen that the kids can't wear the mask. It's screwing them up. They're not happy with it. They feel inhibited. So they just decided to keep them home. And maybe they're not even learning anything. People have to factor that in. However, Senator Bill Cassidy is somebody who disagrees with Ron DeSantis. Chris disagrees with Governor Abbott and maybe with you. He does not think parents should make this decision. He thinks all schools, all masks. Cut five. If a local community is having a, their ICU is full and the people at the local schools see that they've got to make sure they stay open because otherwise children miss out for another year of school and they put in policy, then the local officials should be listened to. That is a conservative principle. So you disagree with Governor DeSantis? I do disagree with Governor DeSantis. The local officials should have control here. I, I don't want top-down from Washington, D.C. I don't want top-down from a governor's office. If my hospital's full and my vaccination rate is low and infection rate is going crazy, we should allow local officials to make those decisions. But to drill down even further, you could say, I would like teachers, excuse me, I would like uh, parents to decide, decide what's good for their kids. That's what they do in everything else. But I understand the, the senator's point. If you want top-down, you don't want top-down from Joe Biden, you probably don't want top-down for your governor. So when you have a Democratic governor, if, you don't, if you're a local superintendent and they say, say mask for everybody, and you're a local superintendent, you say, no, not for my district, he wants you to have the ability to do that. That's a solid point. But I think at this point, it's up to us to get the information to decide what school our kids go to and what they should be, whether they should be masked up or not. I would not have my kid in a mask, especially uh, when we don't even have the study to know if they can, uh, if they're getting some damage done. What is so amazing is while you're demanding the kids get in masks and you're telling people to go out, if you're going to go outside with people you don't know, you should wear a mask. How many people who are telling us don't practice what they preach? Case in point, the Barack Obama birthday party. Listen, I'm actually in support of Barack Obama having a party. Go ahead, do it. Have the elite come there. George Clooney and his friend from high school. That's fine. 
to have Stephen Colbert. After all, you owe the late night host so much for the job that you got and the fact that Joe Biden is able to pretend as if he's got no deficiencies and people aren't even pointing out some of his mistrips, which are on a daily basis. Invite all the late night hosts like Stephen Colbert. Go ahead. But then don't turn around and tell us to mask up. Don't tell Joe Biden to tell the world to mask up. Don't tell us to listen to the CDC. This is a joke. Then you have uh, Tlaib tweeting out, mask up, and ridiculing Rand Paul. And there's video this weekend of her dancing at a wedding. And it's a lot of video. And it's a lot of dancing. You can't have it both ways. Miranda Devine found that out pointed that out, wrote about it, and talked about it, cut nine. I think I give him extra points because, you know, he didn't really scale down, but he took the opportunity, as you said, to disinvite Nancy Pelosi. And to me, anybody who does that is very smart. The the party was a lot better without her, I'm sure. And there she was trailing around Martha's Vineyard looking all wistful and trying to bump into him. Um, Look, I think good on him. The party was so much better. And, you know, we're all adults. It's the hypocrisy that gets us, really. So the cases are rising. I believe that this variant, if you look back at India who had the variant and the UK who had the variant, a couple of weeks, this thing is supposed to get over the edge and then it's going to turn around. So we'll discuss all that and the hypocrisy that's reigning supreme. And I just think that if you're going to come out and you're going to say everybody wear a mask, you're going to say if you're in a crowded environment, you should uh, make, make sure even if you're outside, you wear a mask. And then you give your Anthony Fauci, you criticize the Sturgis bike rally for the second year in a row when there was no major problem after that. At the same time, you don't bring up what's happening at the border. You don't bring up what's happening with Barack Obama's party. I see pure politics. That's why I have no interest in what he's saying. And when are people going to realize he has zero credibility with maybe 50 to 60 percent of the country? He's ineffective. He should resign. And why he does all these interviews instead of doing work for a living, I'll never understand. Why is a doctor commenting on my lifestyle choices? Enough. We'll talk about origins a little bit later. But the other thing I I wanted to bring up and I think is uh, pretty noteworthy is what was in the Washington Post. Uh, And that is a condemnation of the border, the border policies of Joe Biden in a gentle push nudge talking about the embarrassment that is taking place because Joe Biden has no policy at the border and has numbers that are relatively real. One point five million have come across the border since he took over, and he has not addressed it. Listen to how they mock Vice President Harris. Uh, In this, I'll just read you right from it. Harris and administration officials have to describe short-term steps designed to get a handle on deterring the current tsunami of migrants and asylum seekers at the border. By the way, that's a crisis. But the convoluted messaging telling migrants not to seek entry while at the same time relaxing or scrapping the array of measures that would actually dissuade them and providing relief to migrants on both sides of the border has been a failure. The failure is measurable and politically toxic. As a mid-July, a staggering 1.1 unauthorized border crossings apprehended so far this year, which began on October 1st, nearly 190,000 migrants, a record monthly total high, were taken into custody by border officials in June alone. 843 last Wednesday, an average of 500 unaccompanied minors each day since. This is a disaster. And the Washington Post isn't doing it for you or I or make our country better. They're doing it to make sure Joe Biden knows how the American people are going to kick him and his party with a huge shot to the groin 
come election day, if you don't fix fix this, you're going to lose the House, maybe the Senate. And they don't want that to happen. When we come back, the senator from Wyoming, Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have come to an agreement for final passage of the bipartisan infrastructure uh, proposal. As we move forward, we're proceeding on both tracks. The track of the bipartisan infrastructure proposal and the track of the budget resolution with reconciliation instructions. Well, that is unbelievable. $3.5 trillion. We don't want one Republican vote. We don't we want even to ask for it. And the $1.1 trillion, uh, $450 billion, they say, will go to infrastructure. Seventy senators expected to vote for it. What about Senator Lummis? She joins us now out of Wyoming. Senator, welcome back. Do you expect this to pass today, the $1.1 trillion? Hi, Brian. I do expect it to pass. It will be passing without my vote. Uh, it is not funded to the tune of over $250 billion. Um, the effort by those negotiating the bill was to make sure it was fully funded. Now, I joined nine other senators to say, why don't we repurpose unused COVID money that was previously appropriated and use it to pay for this. That idea was rejected. And now we know due to um, a score uh, or an analysis of whether this bill is fully paid for, we know that it's not fully paid for. Okay. Couple of things. The CBO scored it. Senator Cassidy challenged the CBO scoring, said they didn't take everything into account. And I thought they were repurposing money. I thought most of it. I mean, I thought a third of it was repurposed money. That only five hundred and forty yeah, billion is new money. Yeah, some of it is repurposed money. Not enough of it is repurposed money. So only twenty-three. This is what, to your cause. 
Out of the $1.1 trillion, only two, 23% goes to actual infrastructure, and that's the bridges, the tunnels, the broadband. But is some would say this is called compromise. You're not going to get everything you want. You do get you do are are happy with some of these things, aren't you? Absolutely. On the Environment and Public Works Committee, we put out a bill unanimously, bipartisan, earlier this year to fund highways and bridges. We also put out a bill again, unanimously bipartisan, to fund sewer and water projects. Now these Underlying bills are folded in and incorporated into uh, the infrastructure bill that we're going to be voting on today. But certain of never the full committee process, uh, and they were tremendous true with public transit. Um, the uh, broadband provisions were not fully vetted by the Commerce Committee, uh, and so some of these were uh, not uh, vetted by the committees that have jurisdiction. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy that a bipartisan group of centrist senators uh, tried to put something together to thwart uh, really blown up spending uh, and tried to come up with something more rational. But as you point out, it's still a compromise, uh, and that means that uh, Republicans tamped down the spending, but Democrats uh, got a lot of unnecessary spending in this bill uh, in addition right. and uh, I, to what the committees did. Now, I've heard from a couple of Republican senators who told me don't expect the $3.5 trillion to pass with Democrats because the so-called moderates like Manchin and Cinema aren't going to go for a number that high. Some of the stuff has nothing to do with reconciliation, which needs as a qualifier budget. It's got to be dollar-related. They're, they're going to legalize $8 million illegal immigrants. They're going to do voting infrastructure. A parliamentarian's got to step up. Having said that, do you expect moderate Democrats to chew away at the $3.5 trillion? Well, they better chew it away. They better uh, help uh, rationalize this bill. This is the most radical spending bill, uh, and it does include so many items that have nothing to do with money. As you pointed out, uh, giving legal status to uh, millions of uh, illegal immigrants. It includes huge chunks of the Green New Deal, uh, like the Clean Electricity Standard, which is essentially a green energy quota that would force utilities to reduce fossil fuel usage or face fines, uh, new tax hikes to pay for this big spending, Obamacare subsidies being extended, Extended, uh, the largest expansion of welfare benefits since the 1960s. Right. The list goes on and on. I have this one more. Is, I, I, this, I understand your disappointment. I want you to vaccine passports, 30 seconds. You're getting worried about it. Can it be stopped? Well, we're going to absolutely throw everything but the kitchen sink at this uh, because this is. Uh, the most out-of-control spending bill I've ever seen. It is the Bernie uh, Sanders wish list. It's Bernie's bill. Uh, it implements his view of America, which is nothing like uh, the view of America that, that most Americans have. 
So every Republican is going to fight this. Every Republican. Senator Lummis, thanks so much. Out of Wyoming, appreciate it. Big vote today. It looks like it'll pass with her no vote. Thanks so much. When we come back, will Lieutenant Colonel Alan West be the next governor of Texas? We'll ask him. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yesterday, we saw Senate Democrats unveil their plans for $3.5 trillion, the human side of infrastructure. That's the part that changes government permanently. The once you have pre-K for everyone, once you add some of those, like they're not going to go away. That's how you have a legacy presidency. Yeah, and how you have spending programs that are going to be unaffordable in the future that far outstrips the budget and are non-discretionary spending. And you're just going to add to that side of the uh, bill. And now we're going to have automatic payments from Social Security to Medicare to Medicaid, now automatic preschool, uh, automatic community college, elder care. Medicare is going to be expanded, downgraded, I think 55 and over now. You, I cannot even mention the school lunches for everyone Uh, I'm for everything, just not in our capitalist society. It just doesn't the way it works. I don't have to explain it to my next guest, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. That was Mike Allen of Axios, and he wasn't taking an opinion. I don't know what his opinion is on that. He's telling you what's going to be voted on, not what's going to be voted on today, what's going to be voted on after today, and that's at least $3.5 trillion on pure Democratic votes. Does this whole thing worry you as an American, Colonel West? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian, and welcome back from your vacation break. Of course it worries me. It should worry every American because really and truthfully, we're not talking about a $30 trillion debt. We're talking about a debt that is probably $130 trillion because we're not taking into account all the unfunded mandates and liabilities, and now we're going to add in more unfunded mandates and liabilities. So this is going to be something that goes off into perpetuity when you talk about all these new and different uh, government uh, programs. And that's the failure that that history has shown of a socialist economic model. When you try to nationalize all economic production, when you try to have these massive governmental programs that are going to take care of people from the moment they're born to the moment they die, uh, you cannot tax yourself into uh, being able to cover all of those expenditures and those that spending. And uh, and the thing is, it, unless you're going to give up a lot of freedom and maybe 45 to 55 percent of your income, they said they're going to do it by raising taxes on wealthy families and corporations who cheat. I don't know. You know, you tell me, is there is there a better way for corporations to uh, to pay a different part of their money? I mean, we have a tax system now. Mm-hmm. I don't think just going up to Amazon saying paying more, they're going to say, well, look at all the people are employing. These are the rules. So you're just going to go try to tax corporations. What's stopping them? Well, the thing is that you're going to drive those corporations uh, out of the United States of America. You're going to drive them out of business. And furthermore, you're paying people to stay at home and, and not work. So I think we have 10 million job openings across the United States of America, job openings that should be filled. But unfortunately, you have the government competing with the uh, private sector in the open market. And the government doesn't have to re- worry about raising capital like what you see in the private sector or definitely a small business. The government just raises taxes in order to raise capital. And so it is a self-licking ice cream cone that will end up being the decimation of the United States of America and our free market economic system. So I'm going to it tell you what not work. I'm going to tell you what. So the the 3.5 trillion is I find flat out scary, and I really hope Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema are going to step up, and the parliamentarian will strike down one of these proposals: is voting infrastructure reform, which is a scam. Mm-hmm. 
and immigration reform. What does that have to do with budgets? Reconciliation should be for budgets, and that has nothing to do with budgets. But the other bill I want to get you on, too, uh, this is what Senator Portman said, Republican, former OMB director for Bush of Ohio, says, we as a country have an infrastructure system that's barely in need of repair. Uh, China's trying to outcompete us in every way, including having better ports, better rail, better airports, the ability to both buy and sell their products overseas. And we here in America want to be at the top of the list. He believes this $1.1 trillion does that. What do you think? Well, it it may do that, but what I've seen the estimations is that for about four hundred billion dollars, maybe at the most five hundred billion, we could take care of those roads and bridges and ports and facilities of that nature. But when you start to read some of the other things that they're talking about, mandating, uh, you know, drunk driving. Uh, uh, what you call apparatuses to be in cars or to start, you know, taxing people based upon the mileage that they're driving. There are a lot of things that go beyond the normal understanding of what infrastructure is supposed to be. And that's the problem that a lot of people have with these, I think, 17 to 18 Republicans that have signed on to this infrastructure package. Yeah, well, but yeah, I think it might end up as 20. So a lot aren't. They wanted to. But here's the other worry, uh, Colonel. So if you're Joe Manchin, you literally are saving the republic or else this whole filibuster would have been blown up. If they if uh, there was a even a liberal in West Virginia, I'm not sure they would have got elected. But Kristen Sinema, too. I'm not blown to the filibuster. The thing would be blown up and the Republicans would take power and they would twist the country back the other way. But it'll be a mess. We'll all get whiplash. But Mm -hmm. uh, what do you say to people think if you show that you're willing to cut a deal and not get everything you want? That will further back people like Manchin, Cinema, Tester, who are from red states or purple states, and now will have a reason to say, hey, liberal Democrats, I can get them to negotiate. They just did. Well, I think that's the important part of it, and that's why the Senate is supposed to be that deliberative body, and that's yep. why measures in the Senate are supposed to be a 60 votes, not just a simple majority like what you see over in the House. And therefore, they're supposed to go in and not look at things based upon a purely ideological uh, perspective, but what will be the best, what will work the best for the American citizen and for the United States of America. And if you have folks that will end up undermining the filibuster, guess what will end up happening? You're just going to have you know, the, the partisan ideological uh, perspectives being run through. I mean, especially when you got Bernie Sanders in charge of the Senate Budget Committee or the next thing you know, you have the Green New Deal, which is a lot of what you see in, infiltrated into these uh, these spending packages, being the $3.5 trillion or even this infrastructure package. So I think it's important that we have people that stand up and understand why we have the Senate, what the duty and responsibility and purpose of the Senate is, and not get sucked up into the vortex of partisanship. Uh, Colonel West, you want to be Governor West of, of Texas, and right now he's being sued by various states and being ignored by Dallas when he says, do not mandate masks to your students. Let the parents decide. He is uh, getting blowback on that. What would you do? 
Well, first and foremost, if you're the governor, you have to govern the state, and you should not have these little uh, tyrannical fiefdoms. I mean, I live here in Dallas County, and that's that's the problem is that we have a very far leftist uh, Dallas County commission. As a matter of fact, the county commissioner there kicked out the only Republican county commissioner because he refused to wear a mask, and uh, because it wasn't mandatory, he said, I have the option to do so. And so now that county uh, judge, uh, Clay Jenkins, is being sued by that Republican, but you've got to stand up and be a, a lot stronger against these uh, these Democrats. We see what the Texas Democrats did in fleeing our state, which you want to talk about the ultimate filibuster mm-hmm. to uh, undermine the legislative process. Just leave. Don't don't show up to to do your duties and uh, go to Washington D.C. And so we need to make sure that we uh, we are governing and we are leading here in the state of Texas and not allowing the Democrats to undermine us. But a couple of things they say I haven't seen this, but they say the governor has asked people on elective surgeries to put them off because your hospitals are full. Uh, It says the latest data shows 9,500 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19. Abbott announced the out-of-state health care workers could come to assist. Intensive care units in Houston resemble a war zone, according to a local Dallas reporter, uh, ABC reporter in Dallas. Is that the case that you've heard of? Well, you know, I haven't really seen that. I mean, I have a daughter that's a physician assistant, and uh, she hadn't, you know, said anything to me about the emergency rooms or or, uh, beds overflowing uh, in the hospital where she works. But this is the issue. When you have an open borders policy, when you are allowing uh, last month 210,000 people to come into into the United States of America through Texas, and they're not getting tested for COVID, they're not getting vaccinated and what have you, then they show up and they end up in your hospitals, just the same as they're ending up in our hotels and they're ending up in, in other states. So I think that what you've seen happen from the Biden administration and to a point from even our administration of our governor is that they have not secured our borders. They have allowed people to come in here that are carrying this virus and they're not getting tested and they are causing this spike Mm -hmm. and they are infecting other law-abiding legal citizens here in the state of Texas. And so they are causing this. And so if we would shut down the border, and oh, by the way, we just had early Saturday morning, the cartels fired 20 shots across the Rio Grande River at a border patrol agent. That's an act of war. Absolutely. I think it is time. I think it's time we start to understand that we're getting invaded that is affecting our health care. We're getting invaded that is affecting crime and criminality. And now we have the, the cartels firing across the border at Border Patrol agents into the state of Texas. So we have got a lot of things we've got to work on. Right. So a couple of things before I talk about the border, because the Washington Post wrote up condemning Joe Biden's bad policy. It was amazing. So this shows how bad it is, but they're just trying to get him straightening things out politically so they don't fail miserably in 2022, which I think is going to happen. Yeah. But I want to get your take on this. Is leadership sometimes admitting that you got it wrong? Governor Asa Hutchinson had a mass mandate ban, said no one's going to do it, saw this variant and changed his mind. Cut six. Well, facts change and leaders have to adjust to uh, the new facts that you have and the reality of what you have to deal with. Uh, whenever I signed that law, our cases were low. We were hoping that the whole thing was gone in terms of the virus, but it roared back with the Delta variant. And whenever you know we're pushing the vaccines out, but those under 12 uh, cannot get vaccinated in the schools. And so uh, it was an error to sign that law. I, I admit that. So what do you think? 
Well, I think that leaders should be able to say, hey, I got something wrong, but understand this, that in the United States of America, the most essential thing that we have is our liberty. And Benjamin Franklin said, those who would surrender essential liberty for temporary security in the end deserve neither liberty nor security. So if you're going to err, always err on the side of ensuring that you do not undermine or usurp or take away the liberties of Americans. Allow them to make the best possible decisions uh, for themselves. Provide them the information, but don't go out and try to mandate and usurp their ability to make decisions for themselves. That's how you delve into uh, what is called tyranny. Absolutely. I want parents usually make decisions for their kids. And if there's a situation yeah, where they're, they're, it's a tough situation in inner city, okay, make adjustments. You know your city. You're the mayor. You're the, you know, you're the superintendent, whatever it is. But for the most part, you're taking the decisions away from parents about their kids, many of which are having breathing problems because of the carbon dioxide that's going right back in their face. They're getting rashes. Mm-hmm. They can't concentrate. And it's been over a year. So I want to get your take on this. Why would the Washington Post rip the Biden administration's terrible incoherent strategy at the border. Here's one of the quotes. Officials have effectively reversed and rolled back the Trump administration's, their words, pernicious policies, but without a clear roadmap to address the crisis. A decades high surge in illegal border crossings or the long-term challenge driving migration, dysfunctional disorder or decay in Central America, the convoluted messaging telling migrants not to seek entry in the U.S. while at the same time relaxing or scrapping an array of measures that would actually dissuade them and providing relief to migrants on both sides of the border has been a failure. I'd expect that in Colonel West's column, not in the Washington Post editorial page. What's going on here? Well, you you already talked about it. They're te- you know I would look at this as a rule of law issue. They're looking at it as a political issue because they don't want to lose political power and political control. What they see now is that you have a Biden administration that has completely abdicated their constitutional duty and responsibility. They're not even paying attention to it. You've got the quote unquote border czar, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, except for about what uh, a two hour drive by into El Paso. We she hadn't been here. The president hasn't been here, and you now have an administration that is aiding and abetting drug, human, and sex trafficking. Now, that's not even debatable. So how are they going to defend their policy on the border when you see what has happened with fentanyl, when you see what has happened with the, the spread of the COVID, when you see what is happening when you've got uh, 20 shots being fired from Mexico at a Border Patrol agent uh, across the Rio Grande River, and there's no response. And so they realize what is happening uh, here. They're losing this issue, and they do not want to see uh, the Armageddon, the political Armageddon that's coming in 2022 and 2024. Yeah, and finally, Afghanistan. We've lost so many provinces so quickly. Yeah. Admiral, uh, you know, Admiral Kirby said, yeah, we're not, it's not a good situation. No kidding. Are we prepared yeah. just to give up the whole country to an Islamic extremist fundamentalist organization that will still welcome al-Qaeda? Is that okay? Well, I guess when you go back and you look what happened in the Obama-Biden administration when Barack Obama made the unilateral decision to withdraw out of Iraq, and you saw when you create that vacuum who filled that void, uh, it was ISIS. And so you're going to see the exact same thing happen in, uh, in, in Afghanistan. The only saving grace may be that China, who has you know, moved in and started taking over facilities at Bagram Air Base, China may not tolerate the uh, Islamic jihadists being that the Taliban, al-Qaeda, or ISIS, because China wants the natural resources and the raw minerals that you have in Afghanistan, and they may come down harder on the, uh, the terrorists than we ever would have.
Thanks so much, Colonel West. Uh, has if people want to support you, run for governor, where do they go? You go to West the Number Four Texas dot com. West Four Texas dot com, and uh, the the response in this first month has been absolutely incredible. And so we just continue to press on. Go get him, Colonel West. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's my time to listen to you, or you can write me at Brian Kilmeade uh, or BrianKilmeade.com there, and I'll get your responses, and I'll read some of them out loud. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Other people said, you know, this is really being overblown. They're following all the safety precautions. People are going to sporting events that are bigger than this. This is going to be safe. This is a sophisticated vaccinated crowd. Sophisticated vaccinated crowd. This New York Times reporter went down there and was asked about Barack Obama's scaled-down party. And it wasn't really scaled down. I guess, I guess they knocked off a few people and invited some others. Stephen Colbert joked about on his show that he got invited after they said to scale it back. So uh, that is some of the controversy. Now, some of the controversy, that is Annie uh, Carney. Now, it was brought up, you sophisticated crowd. So it's okay in Sturgis, the non-sophisticated crowd. It's not okay, according to Anthony Fauci, to get together with motorcycles. The blue-collar crowd, I guess, is the way the correct way to coin it, as opposed to the white-collar crowd at the former president of the United States' multimillion-dollar mansion compound in Martha's Vineyard. So now there's backlash because they say Fox took it out of context? I don't know. That was pretty much in context. Here's Tucker on that last night. Cut 46. The emphasis here, the medically significant word, is sophisticated. Right now, the Biden administration is forcing unvaccinated people to obey every requirement that vaccinated people have to follow. It's the sophisticated crowds that are exempt from the rules. Vaccines have nothing to do with it. The question is one of sophistication. You should also know that the sophisticated in this country, the King Farouks who walk among us, towering above the rest, are also exempt from having to pay their taxes, exempt from having their police defunded, exempt from having, say, Catholic charities move penniless immigrants into their neighborhoods in the new Section 8 housing they're building on your street. They don't have to deal with any of that because they're sophisticated. It's nice to be sophisticated. You know what, though? It's bad to be unsophisticated because if you're unsophisticated, CNN will not come to your defense. Its anchors will not defend you when you ignore the rules. Instead, when you're unsophisticated, they will devote hours of coverage to mocking and deriding you. Like they did with Sturgis. Go to BrianKillMe.com. Get great books about America's past, including Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, George Washington's Secret Six, and Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans. I'll sign and send. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. 
Thanks so much for listening to everybody. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by somebody, maybe one of the smartest people in Washington, who really understands dollars and cents and taxes. Uh, one of the brainchilds behind the Trump administration's revamping of taxes, and that is Congressman Kevin Brady will be with us. And we'll do a simulcast with Barney and company. You'll get a chance to see what I look like if you're not watching on uh, Fox Nation right now. You'll be watching on FBN, so I'll do a simulcast as we always do. So let's get to, by the way, just quick announcement. Uh, today, what's going to be happening today, uh, in about a few hours, Senate Majority Leader Schumer was expected to hold his weekly press conference. Why is it impactful? The infrastructure bill is on the threshold, the doorstep of passing. And he wasted one breath before he said, I have another one to jam down your throat we're going to see what they say about that. Then Senate GOP leaders expected to hold their press conference 15 minutes right after. So we'll see how that goes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. That's when he put his hand up my blouse and cupped my breast over my bra. I exactly remember looking down, seeing his hand, which is a large hand, thinking to myself, oh my God, this is happening. Amazing, right? That was on CBS yesterday. Brittany Camisso, who's now on the cover of a lot of newspapers, all about Governor Cuomo and his boorish behavior. How much worse can it get? Cuomo has more accusers coming forward. His allies are quitting or going down in flames, and the impeachment inquiry has been fast-tracked. His only response? Quote, he's in a fighting mood, close quote. I say, okay, knock him out. How much damage is he doing to his party, his state, his family? Number two. Yesterday, we saw Senate Democrats unveil their plans for $3.5 trillion, the human side of infrastructure. That's the part that changes government permanently. The once you have pre-K for everyone, once you add some of those, like they're not going to go away. That's how you have a legacy presidency. That's true. And to me, it's a terrible legacy. Infrastructure is about to pass with 20 Republicans joining Democrats, as I mentioned. But what's in the Senate package and what does Senator Schumer plan to do with his own package that could change this country forever? For the worst. The data comes out very clear on this. If you're between the ages of 25 and 54, the deaths per 100,000 are still very, very low. The White House doesn't want to give that information because their entire goal is zero COVID. So Joe Biden can run around saying that he solved the pandemic. Uh, that is a rising star on the Republican side, Byron Donalds of Florida. The Delta variant rises. Mass mania heats up in our schools and group gatherings are being scrutinized as hypocrisy reigns supreme from the squad to President Obama's birthday bash. This is the controversies are raging all around the world and the lab leak theory gains more credibility and more supporters. All things pandemic are coming your way. So let's start about that. We know that in in New York City schools, they're going to go back. They're going to go back with masks. We know there's actually in New York City the first to do it. If you want to go out to eat, you want to go to the theater, you want to go see a play, you have to prove that you're vaccinated. Are you comfortable with this? In theory, you're, you're safer with the vaccine. I feel safer with the vaccine. But I am not going to tell you what to do. I do not think mayors, governors, or the president should be doing giving you your medical advice. Listen, if you have somebody that you know beat cancer and you have the same cancer, you might go to that person and say, how did you do it? Where did you go? But they're not going to demand that you follow their path. 
we're in a situation now where not just in America, in France, in Australia, they're beginning to mandate crackdown. I expect it in China. I expect it in Russia, even though Russia's got the worst vaccine, even Vladimir Putin won't take it. But now they're going to do it in Western cultures. It just will not fly. That's why you see these massive protests. People want to be, if they're too busy, make time. If you do the research, talk to your doctor, then make your decision. It should not be my decision. But that doesn't stop people from coming down and telling you what to think. That doesn't stop governors from making sure that doesn't happen, like in Mississippi and Texas and in Florida. It doesn't stop local jurisdictions and all, all counties for trying to ignore their governors because they think they know better. Now, that brings us up to school. Should your kids go back to school? Is there a downside to them going back to school? Guess who doesn't know the answer to that? Dr. Anthony Fauci. Because going back to school with a mask is not all blue skies. Cut one. It's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we all of a sudden said, okay, kids, don't wear masks. And then you find out retrospectively that this virus, in a very, very strange and unusual way, is really hitting kids really hard. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on them. So if you read uh, uh, Dr. McCarry's, and he'll be on this, he'll be on sometime on this show, Dr. Today, Dr. McCarry's column in the Wall Street Journal, another one written in The Guardian, no one's taken money and put money to find out what masks are and what their effects are in keeping kids safe or hurting them in the classroom. Socially, we've had child psychologists on. It's bad. They don't talk. They can't see expressions. It might not bother me or you. But think about a kid who's trying to figure out they're doing something right. Is somebody mad at them? Is someone happy? Is, is their classmate uh, friendly? Are they dismayed? Are they angry? We don't know. Because for a year, maybe they've only seen their classmate with a mask on. And get this number. I find this really disturbing and noteworthy. In 33 states, 10,000 schools surveyed lost 20% of their kindergartners. Parents are saying, my kid's not putting it on and they're not going. My fear is they're not going at all. It's not like they're not being homeschooled. And I think that kindergarten teachers tell me it's tough. It takes a certain skill set. And a lot of parents are good at being parents, but they're not necessarily good at teaching stuff. They didn't go to school to teach. So that worries me. Dr. Francis Collins, who never hops on television without aggravating me, did it again. Cut three. Yeah, I think we ought to use every public health tool we can when people are dying. Death rates are starting up again, and you just went through the numbers about how many new cases we are seeing. We are on a very steep upswift of that curve, and we ought to be thinking of every possible intervention. You clearly believe the vaccine mandates could make a difference. <laughs> I do believe they can make a difference. I understand how that can sometimes uh, set off all kinds of resistance. But isn't that a shame, George? I mean, how do we get here? Why is it that a mandate about vaccine or about wearing a mask suddenly becomes a statement of your political party? We never should have let that happen. See, as a doctor, he sounds very political. What do you mean it's a statement of your political party? Parents are being political if they say they don't want their seven-year-old in a mask? What are you talking about? If you are at work or on the job or on a sports team, is the NFL player who many of which are very angry right now, including the quarterback of the Vikings, saying, I don't want to do, I don't want to take a vaccine shot, are they being political? Or are they saying, I'm not comfortable with the President of the United States into my health care? Why doesn't why don't doctors get that? What's next? 
Now everybody in the uh, everybody in the military has got to get a shot. How many are going to choose not to stay in the military anymore? And you're talking to somebody that got the shot. But people are tired of the hypocrisy. The other thing I thought was interesting is Martha McCallum was able to hook up with Dr. Robert Redfield. He's not doing many interviews. He really feels burned by the way he was uh, treated during the Trump years. And he's a pro's pro. And he just talked about something else. When we talk about these crackdowns and the people that uh, are really on the fence or just refusing to take the shot, you're talking about Australia. You're talking about France. You're talking about Germany. You're talking about Greece. You're talking about the entire world. And then it brings up to the, 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 the statement, where did this all come from? And how do we stop it? How do we stop the Delta variant from morphing into another variant? Dr. Robert Redfield is, was asked about this. And he said, you know, this lab leak theory, finding out what this is from, is so vital to stopping the next one and this one. And he does not like the way everything was dismissed when he was in office. And mainly because I believe, my words, not his, Donald Trump was president. Cut 10. We have seen growing evidence to support that this, uh, uh, this in fact, was uh, a consequence of a laboratory leak. So I continue to believe of the two hypotheses that the laboratory leak is the most uh, likely origin of this virus. It's in a way tragic because uh, you would then say that this pandemic was caused in a way by science, uh, not necessarily by nature. And I think I'm very disheartened when I've seen how the scientific community uh, failed to approach both hypotheses with an open mind. I mean, I was very rapidly sidelined, threatened, and, uh, you know, really put on uh, sort of outed because somehow I believed as a virologist that this virus may have come from the laboratory. Is that unbelievable? So he's the expert and he's getting threatened not to tell the truth. You wonder why we distrust people who are trying to bring us through this pandemic. Now we find out our real experts not allowed to use his expertise or tell us something different. Cut 11. And I eventually believe we are going to determine this, the bulk of evidence will be such that I personally think the answer will be that, unfortunately, this virus emerged as a consequence of experiments in a laboratory where the virus learned and was educated to infect human cells efficiently. Good luck. A little bit more from that interview a little bit later. And that's why people are distrustful. Noah, it's not political. Don't take the easy way out. Don't think people are a moron because they don't want to do it. Understand that people have had it with politicians telling them what to do. While Barack Obama tells everyone to mask up and tweets every two seconds, he has 100, uh, 100 people, 200 people, maybe 500 people at his place without masks. You have uh, Rashida Tlaib tweeting out, mask up, mocking Senator Rand Paul, seen the next day or the day dancing at a wedding over the weekend without a mask on. And then you see the condemnation of the Sturgis bike uh, rally that had almost no ramifications last year. And then they do it again this year. Anthony Fauci ripping them this year, but has nothing to say about at the border where 1.5 million people at least have come through. And on estimates, 20 percent have tested positive. And we're dropping them off in the interior of the country or leaving them in massive tents in the middle of cities. No condemnation of that. That's when he doesn't want to talk politics. That's why moderates and Republicans, and I imagine some Democrats, are questioning everything. When we come back, some details on the deal that's going to be approved at some point today. Is this the beginning of compromise where both sides are upset? And isn't the ultimate kick in the groin? 
that on the same day that a negotiated plan is brought forward and a bill could become law if it passes the House in September, they come out and put together a bill with everything negotiated out of it and say to Republicans, we don't even need you. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Your thoughts on that and more, one 408 7669 Questioning everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Day four of the Andrew Cuomo death watch. (laughs) We've been following that story. The governor of New York, yes, the report came back. Yes, sleaze. (laughs) Democrats are dropping him like he's made of gluten. (laughs) How is he still there? What what does he think is going to happen? I mean, why would you stay at this moment? It's been a whole week since the report came out. They're going to impeach him if he doesn't leave. Wouldn't you rather go on your own accord than... Wouldn't you rather be, you can't fire me, I quit, than get impeached in a week? Yeah, well, that is Bill Maher um, having a more interesting show in the last year than he had for the first 20 years. I find him, uh, he's a little astounded by what's going on, and he finds himself, without Donald Trump to go after, honestly going after the biggest scandal out there that no one's paying attention to, and that is Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo has is buried in... Any one of these scandals is enough to sink you, whether it's the 11 accusers, probably 13, maybe there's even more that have come forward. Some of them have gone on television to do it. A lot of them have gone on the record for the investigation. Then when you have him using his office to and his, uh, during office time to write a book that he got $5 million for. And then when you, of course, have the nursing room scandal where they, would, uh, they purposely kept the numbers down to make the seem their decision seem less harmful than it actually was. Get this. This Time's Up co-founder... Time's Up is a group that was put together to say during the Me Too movement to tell all these guys that are acting boorishly that are they're abusing, harassing, and keeping women down in the workplace. Time's Up. Roberta Kaplan is the founder. Do you know that Rudy Julie, excuse me, Andrew Cuomo was meeting with her to check over different press releases he should release to get himself out of trouble? She was trying to help him. She resigned because of that. And here's her statement. The events of the last week have made it clear that our process should be evaluated, and we intend to do that. We need more transparency about our vision of change-making, and we need a more inclusive process to engage the broader survivor community, many of whom have spent years doing the noble work of fighting for women. Yeah, Roberta Kaplan resigns. Unfortunately, recent events, she says, have made it clear that even our apparent allies in the fight to advance women can turn out to be abusers. We have felt the raw, personal, profound pain of that betrayal. Word is he's in a fighting mood. There it's a betrayal. So that's not an apology. Matt, you're in California. Hey, Matt. Hey, morning, Brian. How are you, man? Good. Hey, thanks for uh, being a voice of sanity in this river of insanity we live in. I just got a quick point I wanted to make to you. Uh, You know, what are we doing with this whole COVID thing, man? Who are we supposed to listen to? I'm a disabled veteran. My father's a veteran. My son's active duty. And now they're going to mandate this in the military, which is going to cause... I don't know how many people that are active duty to sit there and say, hey, I don't want to be part of the service anymore. That that does nothing but detriment our readiness. What are we supposed who are we supposed to listen to, Brian? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I'm really curious to see how this plays out. Does General Austin got to stand up to anybody? 
All he does is what every what all the politicians want him to do. He's supposed to be this general to stand up when things are wrong. You're gonna tell me General Mattis would have signed on to that or Bob Gates? You gotta consult with people. You gotta find out how many among each and every unit are unwilling to do this. What if every one of the military defies an order, Matt? Well, that's what we're seeing, Brian. We're seeing the brass that are turning into sheep. They're mindless. They've forgotten their primary purpose, which is to support and defend our soldiers and make sure that our country is safe, not to just bend over to the political whims of these liberal nut jobs. Is your son going to do, take it? Uh, he's already vaccinated, Brian. Yeah, he was part of the COVID response team that went down to L.A. that was administering inoculations down there. Now, on the other side of that topic, I'm not, and I'm not going to, because like I just asked you, you know, I, and I know it's probably rhetorical, Brian, but who are you supposed to listen to? You get six different stories every time you listen to You know what I would do, and, Matt? You know, while- this is what I would do. This is my answer to everybody's question. I, I, I'm lucky enough. There's so many doctors here that I have on the show. I talk to them, and I have my own doctor. And that's how I made my decision. They explained to me what the mRNA technology was. They said Johnson & Johnson's a totally different technology. you got to think about what you want to do. But I was determined to get my life back. I think this is the quickest way to do it, to get vaccinated. And I do believe there's so much on the line with these companies that they wouldn't do something that was going to be harmful or detrimental to our ultimate survival because it would destroy them, too. And I do think that this technology has been around for 10, 12 years. So I get it. So I would take it. But I didn't do it because I listened to Brian Williams on MSNBC or or um, Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper. I should not get my medical advice from a talk show host. I don't think anybody should. And I just ask you, is, is there someone at the VA that you know? Is there a doctor in a family you trust? They talk to other doctors. They read the journals. And I'm sure they got, they were more than likely going to green light it for you. And that would make you, at least you know you did your due diligence. Right. And I've done that, Brian. I've talked to several people. And, you know, like I said, some of the docs tell me one thing. And then some of the other ones have actually had, you know, the, the inoculation. And they've had side effects from it. So Yeah. Again, and I've had people had side effects. Uh, and I've, some people, and I've talked about it on the show. Thanks so much, Matt. You got to make, to me, you got to make your own decisions, and mandates are way out of bounds for America anyway. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And while my Republican colleagues regurgitate the same tired talking points about a Democratic spending spree, let me remind America that we plan to pay for this package by making the wealthy pay their fair share. What the heck does that mean, the wealthy, that already paying almost all the taxes in the country? 50% of the country don't even pay any taxes? That's Senator Chuck Schumer. It all makes so so much sense to him. They love to spend. Congressman Kevin Brady joins us now. Uh, and sadly, he is going to be retiring as the ranking member of the House and Ways Committee. Congressman, your thoughts about what's about to pass the Senate today? Yeah, Brian, it's good to talk to you. And uh, the short answer is that uh, Chuck Schumer can't hide what's in this bill. In, in this reconciliation uh, empowers the greatest tax hikes in uh, in american history the largest the largest expansion of the welfare state in our lifetime and guarantees rising prices because all this government spending 
going to fuel more inflation, and that is the biggest concern most Americans have right now. Are you talking about the one that's going to pass or the one that's going to be jammed down our throats through reconciliation? The one that's going to be jammed down the throats and reconciliation. Okay, let's, let's talk about the. Can we talk about the twenty-seven hundred page bill? That's one trillion dollars, yeah. and it already has. It's supposed to get seventy senators supporting it, and it looks like twenty Republicans. It does have some things I know you've gotten behind in the past. Uh, Sixty-five billion for broadband, four hundred twenty-three billion for roads and bridges. Excuse me, one hundred ten billion for roads and bridges. Forty-eight billion for public transit. Sixty-five billion I mentioned for broadband. Sixty-six billion for just rail. Uh, they got a whole bunch of, which I think is infrastructure. Uh, more than one billion for would fund water storage at sites in Northern California Reservoir. One point five billion in electric vehicle infrastructure. So these are some of the things in the 2,700 pages. Obviously, I haven't read it. How much can you get behind? Yeah, so uh, not much. I think there's about one out of every $4 in that bill that you and I, uh, as conservatives and most Americans, could easily support roads and bridges and ports. We all get that. But the bulk of that bill has got nothing to do with real infrastructure. It's Green New Deal, huge expansion of government power over the energy sector here in America. Uh, obviously, everyone knows it's it's going to add between three and four hundred billion dollars to the national debt as well. Uh, and and again, you know, this is not going to jumpstart this economy in any way. In fact, most economists believe there'll be little to no economic impact uh, in the short term at all. Uh, and over the long term. That small part will be helpful, but it's really erased by all the wasteful spending in the bill. But are you you don't realize with compromise, you're never going to be Republicans and Democrats will never get everything they want. Is this different from a compromise, what a compromise looks like in the Senate? I think it is. Uh, normally, you know, you try to find a balance, right? Common ground about what's most important for you. Uh, as a party and for your constituents, it seems to me here it, this is uh, woefully unbalanced, I think, for most Americans and certainly for Republicans. I think, look, um, I appreciate the senators who sat down and tried to make what was a horrible bill by President Biden less so. And I think they did that. But, boy, the more – again, we're reading this bill just like others are, Brian, and uh, – the more you read it, the, the lesser is the like. And, and, you know, those electric vehicle subsidies, you know, this is kind of a simple question. Um, if your neighbor decides to buy an electric vehicle, should you be compelled to send them $7,500 of your no. taxes? Because they choose to. And if a big auto company says, we're going to sell a million electric vehicles uh, within the next few years, should you be, should you also be compelled to send that company, you know, subsidies because they made that choice? And the answer, of course, it's no, we shouldn't be, but that's what this bill does. So I want you to hear Senator Bill Cassidy. I know you must know Republican Senator Rob Portman, former OMB director. He says this is good for the country. We needed to compete. Here's what Cassidy said about Senator Mike Lee, who came out, came on and just ripped it from limb to limb, kind of like you're doing. Just about everything he said is wrong. Uh, Mike's a lawyer, and lawyers are often very confident in what they say, but he's speaking of things he does not know about. Uh, and I like him, but let's just be honest about it. If you speak to the economists, conservative economists, 
They say because this is infrastructure spending and the payback from a new bridge will be 30 to 40 to 50 to 60 years. And because most of the spending will occur two to three to four years from now, because that's how long it takes to permit things, then um, then the, the, it will not have the inflationary effect. That's economist, not an attorney, uh, period, end of story. You, are, you do know this stuff. So what's your take on, on Senator uh, Cassidy, who's a doctor? So infrastructure over the long term, Brian, if it's done right, it, it can help grow an economy. And, and it can meet the demands of a growing economy, such as what we had under President Trump. No question about it. Conservatives agree on that. But look, most economists will tell you there there's very little economic impact in the short term. Right now, too, you know, if you're thinking, boy, this will create a ton of construction jobs, it will. The problem is we can't find the workers to actually do these jobs, and that doesn't seem to be changing much at all. And again, if if the bulk of this bill is not that true infrastructure, but just more government spending on their whoever their special favored interests are at the time. We saw this under the Obama-Biden stimulus. Remember that of 2010, where they made sort of the same promises. But what we know is that was one of the worst economic recoveries of our lifetime because it really didn't go to the the infrastructure that was needed. Uh, So let's move to the other infrastructure bill. This is 92 pages. It lays the groundwork, according to Chuck Schumer, for legislation that over a decade would pour mountains of cash into their priorities, legal status for millions of illegals, clean energy manufacturing, free pre-K, free community college, uh, free elder care, expand Medicare, lower drug costs, boost child care, end school lunches. This is going to be $3.5 trillion, and they're going to get the money by increasing taxes on companies and wealthy families. So this, to me, is the scariest thing that I have seen. And the fact that they're not even trying uh, to do this legislatively uh, unnerves me. Yeah, there is, Brian, there is, no, there is no effort to try to find common ground on any of this. And because they don't want to, the truth is, you know, this, this is the greatest expansion of the welfare state we've ever seen. This is their new deal you know, for America. And what, what they're doing is using this crisis, the pandemic, uh, to, to take temporary COVID measures and create permanent entitlements that we can never hope to afford, never hope to pay for in our lifetime. And it is an excuse for them for the largest tax hikes, you know, in history. And those tax hikes, by the way, new analysis shows the second one in a row shows that many of these tax hikes end up landing they talk about the wealthy and businesses, corporations, but they end up landing on middle-class families in a big way. Where will parliament, the parliamentarian come in on this? Because you know this. You live this. The parliamentarian is going to keep reconciliation to pure budget items. What does immigration have to do with budget? How are they going to rationalize it, voting reform legislation in budget? How, how, is that going to do, how are we going to find dollars in that? Well, Brian, you, you know more— just having said that, then some members of Congress do about reconciliation. This is a very small budget keyhole through which only a few things can go through. Uh, and taxes, unfortunately, are one of them. Uh, but many of these unrelated items should never be permitted by the Senate parliamentarian. I don't know if, uh, uh, if they are hoping to drive this through, intimidate the parliamentarian, 
you know, I, I don't know what their game plan is, but clearly this is not reconciliation uh, uh, issues. It's got nothing to do with the economy or defeating the virus. This is just a huge opportunity by Democrats to, to give government just massive control over your daily life, over your health care, certainly over your paycheck. And I, I just, it's more spending. I mean, it's more than our budget usually is. If you look at how much money they're going to be spending combined. Now, can you possibly explain to me, is it possible to intimidate a parliamentarian to doing something you want? I mean, can't they be protected, literally? Well, they should be. Uh, and in the past, Senate parliamentarian has been pretty independent, uh, but, but persuadable. And as you've noticed this year, uh, Chuck Schumer is the majority leader uh, in the Senate, you know, has, multi, has had multiple conversations and made multiple announcements about how they've expanded reconciliation. In fact, they've sort of boasted about that uh, here this year. And so I, I, my guess is they believe that they can take that pretty narrow budget keyhole and just crank it open for a lot of this uh, unrelated spending and policy issues like immigration, like others. So well, my guess is yeah. that's their game plan. But, but make no mistake, a vote for reconciliation is a vote for these huge tax increases, this great welfare state, and, and more inflation. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, I wish you were not leaving, uh, Kevin Brady. You're too yeah. valuable. <laughs> Congressman Kevin Brady, <laughs> ranking you, member of the House and Weeds Co- Ways Committee out of Texas. Thanks so much, Congressman. Thanks, friend. Bye you got now. it. Uh, well, I'm with Stuart Varney, FBN, in just a moment. Don't miss it. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, I'll be able to take on the back end of this. We're on FBN in a matter of moments, uh, one of the fast-growing channels in all cable, which you can get streamed and you can hear on Sirius. Uh, but also keep in mind, too, we'll be able to take some calls in the back end of this, one 408 and get your emails at briankillme.com. Just go there. Also, opportunity to tell you I'm going to be on, uh, but let's listen to Stuart Varney right now. 10.51 Eastern Time. That means it's time for Brian Kilmeade. Brian. The New York State Assembly moving towards an impeachment inquiry against Cuomo. And in a few moments at 11 o'clock Eastern, we'll be hearing from the governor's attorney. Look, as I understand it, the moment an impeachment proceeding is formalized, he loses, Cuomo loses power. In comes the lieutenant governor. So uh, my guess, he's not coming to the governor, the real governor, for very long. What say you? Well, Wood, they're going to do an inquiry. And he's going to have to step down while they do their inquiry. And they've got to come up to the conclusion they already have the vote, so he's going to be gone. Where yeah. it is, the New York Post wrote on the front page that he set a deal with the legislature. He said, listen, let me finish out my term. I don't run for a fourth. And they basically balked. And Carl Hasty, who is the ranking member, came out and said, I, I never heard about that deal. But it doesn't mean it didn't really happen. My thing is, one of these scandals, Stewart, would have stopped any politician in my lifetime. One of them let alone the investigation they're doing on the nursing home that's going to come forward in about 10 days, maybe sooner, let alone the one about him using staffers to write his book and getting his $5 million advance during work time, let alone the fact that he got, gave his family favorite status when very few people had tests, including his brother. And any one of them should destroy him. 
along with the 11 accusers, two more stepping forward, one going on national television. He has nowhere to go. He's gonna, he hasn't paid for housing in a long time. And he, wanted, he thought he was going to be there forever and then to the White House. So someone's got to get into his head that it's over, it's finished, it's through. His quote this morning was, through a staffer, I'm in a fighting mood. Good luck with that. No okay. one's standing with you. All right, what about his brother, Chris Cuomo? The Washington Post says CNN should investigate him because they say he's still advising his brother even after he apologized on air. I mean, should something happen to Chris Cuomo and CNN? Well, listen, Stuart, in our business, I'm, I'm done. I really feel, never feel comfortable saying fire him or relieve him or suspend them. That's up to them. But I'm stunned, personally stunned, that after getting that rebuke and being exposed and on those phone calls, giving his, uh, telling, whipping his brother's legal team into shape constantly, and then with the role he played in that report... Now it turns out that he never stopped advising after he apologized to his entire organization and put everybody in jeopardy. I mean, number one, what can you believe anything he says when he says he apologized, he made a mistake? Now yeah. why would you believe anything at all? Uh, it's a very serious situation. It looks to me like the Cuomo brothers are on very limited time, but we shall see about that. Uh, Brian, forgive me, but I'm going to change the subject. We're going to talk soccer. Lionel Messi... You may know this, you may not know this, but he signed a two-year deal with Paris Saint-Germain. He gets reportedly $260 million in that two-year deal. What do you make of that? I, look, the other, other players on the team, Neymar and Mbappe, and now here comes Messi. How are they going to get a team built around three gigantic, brilliant egos? Uh, I think they're going to win a championship with them. 34 years old, big egos. I understand it. But then I'll find a way. I think they'll find a way to coexist. The other thing is, you say Germain, I say Germain. That's how we're different. <laughs> but we're always talking soccer here. We know that. But I find it interesting that the first thing announced that he's going to continue at 34 years old for the club he played with since he was a teenager. And then they said, I'm not going to, he's not going to stay. He has his press conference. Then there's a report that Barcelona came back at him and said, all right, let's just, let's just have you come back. At which time he says, forget it, I'm signing with these guys. He's got a press conference tomorrow at 11 o'clock local time to announce it. they got to get it together because this is so much inequity in international soccer right now. There's some teams that well, don't even go out and roll the ball on the field. At least in American super sports, we have salary caps or penalties for going over those caps. Well, the soccer world of Europe is ruled by the big money that comes out of the Persian Gulf. Qatar manages... Uh, PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, and they've got a bottomless pit of money and they're now dominating European soccer, which is a real problem because smaller teams, they just can't get a look in. I mean, it's a bunch of super clubs that rule the roost. Not necessarily a great future. But I, my, Did, my final thought is this. Yep. If you want real soccer and real soccer stories, it's Ted Lasso. That's real soccer. A football coach goes over to coach in England. His team gets regu regu uh, rele relegated. That, to me, is a true soccer story. I'm going to leave it at that, Brian, because I don't know where to go after that one. I really don't. It's supposed to be a good show. I, it is a good show. It's to watch. I started to watch it briefly. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't, oh. I just couldn't Give it a couple it. of episodes. It's got romance. I'm just warning you. Okay, if it's got romance, I'm in. Hey, Brian, you're all right. <laughs> we'll see you again real soon. Okay, thank you, sir. Right. Bob, listen, WLAD in Monroe, Connecticut. Hey, Bob. 
Hey, I just wanted to say really quick, Brian, you hear the, the news and the government all talking about $160 billion in the infrastructure. Well, I am in the construction business. And uh, just quick numbers. You redo the GW Bridge in New York, probably going to cost you 10 or $20 billion. So how far does that go? That's we a good point. Uh, you would know that better than me. Also, the whole thing is, Bob, I would like to know exactly what projects, right? Yeah. If the federal government's going to just tell me what. Is it the Hoover Dam? You know, are yeah, we or that, right or that bridge that that they want to build to up there in Michigan to Canada? What's that going to cost? Fifty billion, sixty billion? I mean, we don't see any of that work. We never do. Do you have a hard time getting workers? Yeah, well, right now because the government's paying them the unemployment. You know, you got guys up in Boston that are getting way more with their unemployment and the. Uh, government money they don't want to go back to work 10 million unfilled jobs and now they say yep. we have great jobs we're, oh yeah we've have great jobs they're not being filled september it's supposed well, to evaporate they have not decided whether they're going to continue the supplemental unemployment do you believe well, they this will, they will with the illegals and the border coming over because all these con, you know contractors will pay the cheaper price and there goes our jobs good point bob it's uh this the the worker gets screwed all around This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Dr. Marty McCary will be joining us shortly. Actually, at the bottom of the hour, he wrote a great column on the Wall Street Journal about masks and how we don't know the effects it has on our kids, yet we're still mandating them. He's a doctor. Johns Hopkins will talk more about that. And uh, Congressman Jeff Fortenberry will be with us. Uh, The congressman knows that he's going to be looking at this infrastructure bill in September. Uh, We'll see. It's going to pass the House today. And we'll discuss all that. Uh, Meanwhile, we'll cover all the breaking news as it's happening. Uh, The governor's lawyer is going to be speaking today, Governor Cuomo. He's the most embattled governor in my lifetime. They have not had an impeachment hearing since 1913 in New York. It could be happening as early as this week. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. That's when he put his hand up my blouse and cupped my breast over my bra. I exactly remember looking down, seeing his hand, which is a large hand, thinking to myself, oh my God, this is happening. That was on CBS. Brittany Camisso, just one of the accusers of the governor. How much worse can it get? Governor Cuomo has accusers coming forward as allies are quitting, going down in flames, and the impeachment inquiry has been fast-tracked. His only response? That he's, quote, in a fighting mood. I say knock him out. Next. Number two. Yesterday, we saw Senate Democrats unveil their plans for $3.5 trillion, the human side of infrastructure. That's the part that changes government permanently. The once you have pre-K for everyone, once you add some of those, like they're not going to go away. That's how you have a legacy presidency. Mike Allen of Axios. Infrastructure is about to pass with 20 Republicans joining Dems. But what's in the Senate package? And what does Senator Schumer plan to do with his own package that he does not want Republican support for? 
And I say if they both pass, it'll change America forever and not for the better. Number one. The data comes out very clear on this. If you're between the ages of 25 and 54, the deaths per 100,000 are still very, very low. The White House doesn't want to give that information because their entire goal is zero COVID, so Joe Biden can run around saying that he solved the pandemic. He didn't. Delta variant rises. Mass mania heats up in our schools, and group gatherings are being scrutinized. And hypocrisy reigns supreme. From the squad caught dancing at weddings to Obama's birthday bash, maskless, uh, in great crowds. This is the controversies are raging all around the world, and the lab leak theory gains more credible supporters. All things pandemic coming your way and so much more. I'll be brief here because I want to give the congressman and I want to give the doctors uh, time to talk. But on the pandemic... Uh, I'm just stunned by what's happening in this country right now and then heartened by the fact that almost every other Western society is having the same debate. I'm looking at what's happened in France with hundreds of thousands coming out to protest new mandate. Everyone's got to get vaccinated. In Australia, things got so bad they had to call out the army in working class areas to enforce their new restrictions and these uh, these draconian crackdowns. And in China, they don't care. It is raging throughout that country. There is some justice. Not that I want anyone sick, but I want a country to pay the price. And it is China. They started this. The question is, was it intentional or not at this point for any clear-thinking individual? So they are just arresting people, cording off people, putting up fences and outlying them to come out. That's why they choose to stop things, to squelching life, because they have no regard for human life. And now we find out, okay, we want to get kids back in school. So if you want them back in school, put masks on. Oh, you don't want to put masks on? That means you want kids to learn from home. No, it's a false choice. Because I believe that parents should be in control of their kids, that they should be the ones to decide if your kid goes to school or not. And when it comes to medical advice, I don't go to, I didn't go to Alan Alda when I was growing up because I realized he was playing an actor on TV. But I go to people on TV that are doctors in real life. I go to my own doctor, other people in the profession, other people that know people. And that's how I decide what to do. I don't want my governor, my superintendent, my principal telling me what to do with my body and my kid. It's not going to happen. That's not the way it should happen anyway. But Anthony Fauci knows better. Cut one. It's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we all of a sudden said, okay, kids, don't wear masks. Then you find out retrospectively that this virus, in a very, very strange and unusual way, is really hitting kids really hard. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on really? them. Yeah, we hope it's not negative. Take your time. Where's the money to go study this? We'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. I don't want to belabor it. But now you see politics coming into play because the two governors who heroically opened up their states the soonest now have to deal with the Delta variant. And they refuse to put mandates on their school, their schools. And they told everyone, don't you mandate that every kid wear a mask. It should be a parent's decision. Now there's big pushback. They're suing each other, withholding salaries. It's happening in Texas, and it's happening in Florida. And they love to target those two states, as is the most political union leader in America, Randy Weingarten. Listen to what she said on Meet the Press. The disinformation campaign and what the people like Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis are doing, they are hurting people in terms of their public health by this disinformation campaign. 
listen, I don't know how they're hurting people. It's not disinformation. It's a Delta variant. Most seniors are vaccinated. Therefore, the resistance and if there's breakthrough, they'll, for the most part, survive. As if I get it, I haven't been vaccinated, I will survive. But I'm not going to condemn someone for not getting vaccinated. If you want to ask them why and go forward, you want to educate people instead of berating people, you might have a, you might have a shot at this. But somebody who's had it and been pretty stringent along the way, Rand Paul, he's like, I'm not getting vaccinated. I still have the antibodies. And he said, when it comes to mandates, fight it. Cut seven. It's time for us to resist. They can't arrest all of us. They can't keep all of your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. Although I've got a long list of ones they might keep closed or might ought to keep closed. We don't have to accept the mandates lockdowns and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and bureaucrats. We can simply say, no, not again. And then he got criticized by Rashid Tlaib. And she goes out and says, you should wear a mask. And if you're in big public settings, you should wear a mask and be safe. Fine. She goes out into a wedding, packed. You see all this video of her dancing around without a mask while she's condemning Rand Paul for coming out and saying you shouldn't mandate masks. Incredible. Congressman Byron Donalds also had it says, I'm not getting vaccinated, cut eight. The data comes out very clear on this. If you're between the ages of 20, 25 and 54, even though you are much more susceptible to the Delta variant, the deaths per thousand or the deaths per 100,000 are still very, very low. And so when you give people credible information, you break it down for them, You people will actually see, is their, rate, their risk of infection higher? Yes. Is their risk of hospitalization higher than somebody who's vaccinated? Yes. But their risk of death is is still significantly lower than somebody who was in the vulnerable population, either with the original strain or now with the Delta variant. The White House doesn't want to give that information because their entire goal is zero COVID, so Joe Biden can run around saying that he solved the pandemic. Give people real information. They will make decisions for themselves in their own lives. Yeah, right. So his uh, economic policies are a pile on debt and act heroic that you spend our money irresponsibly. Number two, you look at the uh, pandemic. He was getting high marks for that. We know the Delta variant has cut into that. His approval now at 51 percent and dropping. Now we see him at the border so bad. The Washington Post wrote today that it's a tragedy at the border. It's a comedy of errors at the border. And if they don't get it together, they're going to pay the ultimate price in 2022. Now let's switch to another guy in knee deep in trouble, and that is Governor Andrew Cuomo. We know that he's got multiple scandals and investigations wrapping around him. Currently, his lawyers speaking to the press, outlining everything that they find wrong in the attorney general's report from a few days ago, which, by the way, the attorney general, Democrat, with no political agenda, they're going to try to make it seem like she wants to be governor to get him out of the way. Believe me, she would love to have found nothing. She didn't. There's too much to ignore. Over 10, 12, 13 accusers, maybe more are going to come forward. Carl Hasty, who's been accused, New York Assemblyman and the highest ranking member, has been accused of slow walking this entire thing, said this about the Judiciary Committee, cut 20. Again, I'll say the overall sense that I get from the members of the Assembly is the, uh, as I stated very clearly, that uh, members uh, have uh, no confidence in the ability of the governor to remain in office. I think that's the, the universal sentiment that we have. And you're always going to have differences of opinion as to where and how and how quick. But as the chairman outlined, you know, you want to make sure things are right, but also done in an expeditious uh, manner. Okay. Uh, He's taking his time. 
Others who say, let's get rid of him. We have our own political fortunes. And when the nursing home things comes out, you want him out. And if he's not, it's going to implicate other people who didn't tell the truth about the numbers. His health director might have made that decision, or was it the governor directly to put infected patients back in nursing homes without proper protection? Incredible. Another Democrat, Charles Levine, uh, on why the assembly is investigating instead of impeaching him right away. I'm a little confused about that as well. Cut 21. I would not want to rely solely on the report of the attorney general, as good as it is, to make a case. And the question here isn't simply, shall we rush to impeach? The question is, can we present, should that occur, a compelling and comprehensive case at the court of impeachment? I understand and I appreciate and sympathize with the desire to do this and do this as fast as possible. But we still have to comport with constitutional mandates and requirements. Let's see how you do it. He'll be stepping aside while they do the investigation once the impeachment proceedings start. I don't know what he's up to, but the word is today he was in a mood for a fight. And that's what attorney's doing right now, going through the report, finding discrepancies and inconsistencies, and trying to make a case that the governor is a victim of political gamesmanship. Good luck with that. Everybody involved is a Democrat. You tried, according to the report, to have your first accuser be a Trump supporter. The problem is she's a liberal running as a Democrat for a different seat. Ouch. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry is next in Nebraska. And then Dr. Marty McCarry. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to get worse. Again, let me be clear. This administration has not done one thing, not a single thing, to slow the flow. They haven't added a consequence to deterrence for these people coming across the border. As a matter of fact, right now, my my sources in in Border Patrol Intelligence, there's between 100 and 150,000 illegal migrants right now staging in Reynosa. Just south of uh, the, uh, the the the, uh, the the border in Texas, mm. it's going to get worse. Why? Because the Biden administration refuses to take ac- action. They're bragging on how quick they're getting people out of border patrol custody, which means they're releasing people quicker. That message goes around the world. Hey, you can even have COVID, yeah. and they're going to let you into the United States. Unbelievable what they've done to the point that Washington Post even pointed out that their horrible border policy could cost in both chambers. Of Congress, Even though they choose to ignore it, they think people aren't paying attention. We are. In the middle of a pandemic, makes it so much worse. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry didn't just sit in Nebraska and say, I wonder what's going on there. He's down at the border now. Congressman, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you having me on and drawing attention to this. And by the way, I'm sitting next to the congressman from here, Tony Gonzalez, who's a new member of Congress, has just hit the ground running. High-impact player. He's been very generous to show me his 800-mile sector of the border, which is his congressional district. 800 miles. And to put it in perspective, what are you seeing? Well, I got here this morning and uh, we are in Uvalde, Texas, um, a border town. The sheriff called and said, you guys get over here right now. We've got uh, Honduran nationals fighting with border patrols. So 
Um, what happens here in this particular sector, a train comes out of Mexico, people board it uh, in this sector as well. These are people who probably have nefarious intent. They might be criminals escaping from Central America or uh, Mexico. Uh, this morning, there were eight Hondurans that jumped off that train. Uh, we got there as there was a chase to apprehend uh, one. Seven were stopped. So it's become the Wild West down here, and you can see up and down these train tracks bottles of water where people just jump and abandon what they have, trash all along the train tracks. And, in fact, um, it's more organized than we believe. This is not just random people coming across. The cartels on the other side of the border are highly organized. The people that are coming into this section, for instance, are, have GPS trackers on them. They'll come get picked up by someone in America who's coordinating with the cartels on the other side. It's a disaster. It's a disaster that the administration's not focusing on at all. They have Mayorkas coming down Thursday, a Zoom call yesterday. The vice president brings up that and other issues regarding the vaccine. The Washington Post as a clarion call to really the administration, not trying to help the readers, telling officials have effectively reversed and rolled back some of the Trump administration's most pernicious policies, that's a hit, but without a clear roadmap to address the immediate crisis, a decades-high surge in illegal border crossings for the long term, driving migration, dysfunction, disorder, and decay in Central America. Uh, the failure is measurable and it's politically toxic. The Washington Post says says they're failing. What's it going to take to do something? Well, let me tell you, I, I wish you'd have been here, Brian, with the uh, sheriff of this county. He he has 16 deputies covering an area that's the size of Delaware. He is a great public servant. He believes he has called in his heart to do this job. It is dangerous. It is not his responsibility to apprehend people coming here illegally, but he's on the front line doing this in concert and coordination to the best he can with uh, Border Patrol. Uh, but he just keeps pleading, please tell America we need help. And what's happening is when people aren't apprehended, they end up in town. They end up in people's backyards. Children are getting ready to school, go back to school. People are scared. They're frightened and they're angry. And so they were very grateful that I came here to see it because it gives them a little bit of hope that the rest of America is paying attention. So thank you for continuing to draw attention to this. Yeah, I just don't know. I'm, I'm so I'm so not interested in the politics of it. I actually want it stopped. And then you add the pandemic on top of it. And I think it's unbelievable that he didn't even use this with all his political savvy to use this and tell his left wing, guys, I can't loosen up the border yet. I can't change policies. We're in a pandemic. I can't tell the American people to mask up 53 million kids who are perfectly healthy while letting illegal aliens stream our border a million plus. Instead, he decides it's not his problem. If the border was bad anyway, I'm not going to build the wall. I have other things to do. And the result is he's lost all credibility. It's a very poor message that's been sent. Uh, and remember that people who are coming in here are being coordinated by cartels. This is a very organized effort on the other side of the border, so much so that they go and recruit people out of other countries to come here. And these are people that have some degree of resources, or they are using criminal elements to get into our country as well, and then they get paid off later. Um, now, each sector is different. I'm going to a detention facility, a holding facility shortly. And I think there, that's probably we'll, where we'll have this broader conversation about the problem of disease management and control, about the lack of testing or how exposed are we by people coming in that may not may have been exposed to COVID. 
Uh, here in this next sector, though, there's a lot of people who simply turn themselves in. So they may have humanitar- real humanitarian reasons to be here, but it is a complex mess up and down this border without enough resources, and the people here are upset. Well, besides Henry Cuellar, are there Democrats upset? Henry Cuellar has done a very courageous and good job. He's a close friend of mine. Uh, we talk very often about this. I think he is one of the clear voices that are raising consciousness and awareness and it gives it some bipartisan necessity because this should transcend any sort of political divide. This is about protecting America, keeping an orderly and just immigration system, and not undermining our generosity by chaos and disorder at the border. Jeff Fortenberry doing the hard work from Nebraska uh, down to the border trying to help out. Thanks so much, Congressman. Thank you, bro. All right. Dr. Marty McCarty next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, welcome back. I, I'm just listening to this uh, unbelievable press conference taking place. Do you know that Governor Cuomo is going to be speaking sometime today. It's Tuesday. And right now he has his lawyer going through, I think, 11 accusers and telling the worldwide audience why all 11 were wrong and why. And how the media is running wild with this story. No, no, there's a 100-plus page report done by a Democratic attorney general on your behavior. This is just the sexual claims. I've never seen anything like it. But let's talk about the pandemic. It's going to be a balance that we would feel very badly if we all of a sudden said, "Okay, kids, don't wear masks. Then you find out retrospectively that this virus in a very, very strange and unusual way is really hitting kids really hard. But hopefully this will be a temporary thing, temporary enough that it doesn't have any lasting negative impact on them. So uh, now they're talking about mass mandates. And, of course, if 53 million kids want to go back to school, according to Anthony Fauci, they all have to wear masks. Famously, some governors that Democrats have uh, really had clashes with. And there are Democratic governors that Republicans clash with. But uh, DeSantis and Abbott, uh, they have high mar- uh, they have high positive cases in their state. And they will not mandate and are making sure nobody mandates that every kid go back to school. With me right now is Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary has written a column in the Wall Street Journal of late and talked about the fact that we just don't even know if masks are helping and the type of damage it's done. And Dr. McCary, little did you know, either does Anthony Fauci. You know, I wish they would talk to speech pathologists right now who are working with kids having trouble with phonation because they haven't visualized a mouth moving in school for almost two years now, or psychologists not not in the Hamptons, in inner city Baltimore or Oakland, and find out what's happening on the ground. We're playing with fire right now by muzzling and muting children in their normal development for years, and there's no data, there's no science to really tell us what we're doing. I know that this is not your area of expertise, but I'll tell you the reaction to what the medical profession has done, it's outraged, not just in America, but around the world. 
from Australia to France to Israel to Bulgaria. There were protests over the weekend. 230,000 marched in France because they don't want to be forced to get vaccinated and they don't want to be forced to wear masks. Uh, they're denouncing health passes that will require uh, that if they want to eat in cafes. They're holding up signs that say no to dictatorship. It seems as though the global medical profession, doctor, is losing credibility with the uh, with their clients, with their patients. That's right. And, you know, a lot of these folks have reasonable questions. And rather than answer them or admit we don't know as a medical profession when we don't know, which, by the way, is a lot of stuff, then we're just putting out these very vigorous recommendations when people have a right to question it. And that's where the credibility goes bad. And I look at these stern answers to these questions, almost demonizing those who have chosen not to get vaccinated. And it's, you know, it's so sad for me because I want all adults who are not immune to get the vaccine. It's life-saving. The 400 people that died yesterday did not have to die if they'd gotten vaccinated. And if, if we keep putting out this sort of, you know, mixed messaging and make stuff up as we go and, you know, stern kind of condemnation, then we're hurting our own cause. That's what's tough for me to watch. I mean, two weeks ago, we heard the stat that 30 percent of medical workers haven't gotten the vaccine. And, you know, you would think they're around the medical profession. The advice is there if you're not an expert yourself. So for me, I don't feel comfortable telling people to do anything medically. I could tell them what I did, and that's I got the vaccine as soon as I could. But a lot of people don't know what mRNA is, don't want to, don't want, want to know why Johnson & Johnson had the trouble and did they actually fix the problem. And that was the more traditional way vaccines work. So after a while, people just say, well, you know what? I had it already. I'm not worried about getting it. I got the natural immunity. Oh, I'm going to take my chances. I'm in pretty good shape. I'm going to move on because there's uncertainty in it. And also, people don't like to be vilified for their decisions It makes Americans especially really dig in. But for people and parents listening right now, even though masks may or may not work, what you're trying to say is the CDC didn't put the money in to study it over the last year to see how effective it is keeping kids safe, even though the numbers are low. Some of the things you write in your column, what are some of the effects of masks on kids? You mentioned about uh, about the pronunciation, but there's more than that. That's right. You know, um, adults downplay this. You know, when we had a vigorous recommendation to put restrictions and mask 56 million kids with zero data, NIH, by the way, spent more money on the Wuhan Virology Institute than they did on studying masks in kids. And we spent twice as much money on aging research than all of COVID research from the NIH last year. So there's no data, right? We know these cloth masks are the least effective of all the masks, but go ahead and wear them in areas of an outbreak or if the kid is high risk or there's a concern or anybody wants to. But when you force kids with special needs and disabilities, which by the way is 5% of school children in America have a cognitive or physical impairment. 160,000, for example, have hearing loss and they're relying on looking at people verbalize words. The anxiety, 40% of those cases are tied to changes in breathing. So what happens is you wear a mask as a kid, you get higher levels of CO2 in your system. And we can debate whether or not those levels are toxic or not. Let's assume they're not. But it does alter your rate of breathing because your body's trying to blow out more CO2 when it builds up. And so you're altering the respiratory rate in a child, okay, maybe for an hour or a week or a month, 
there's little harm. We're coming on two years. Have we really established the connection between altered breathing and anxiety and these other mental health problems? I think that's something that we're, we're, again, we're playing with fire. We've not studied it, and we've assumed that there's zero harm with masks. I don't think that's true for all kids. So how would you handle, would you want, with your kids, or if, uh, if you had a kid school age, hypothetically, would you send him or her to school with a mask? Yeah, so I'm very close with my nephew and niece, and I um, have encouraged them to not wear a mask in school so they can learn and be kids and grow and have a human connection. Now, in Arlington, Virginia, where they are, I don't know if they're going to um, get it because they're getting these edicts, these decrees from you know the Royal uh, Amer- <laughs> CDC, and it's like nobody is it feels comfortable going against it, even though they're track record is not only wrong so often, they're often late in removing any restrictions. They're about, you know, two to six months late in exactly. reversing things. They have no exit criteria, by the way, for the mass guidance they put out. Very good point. So you're saying you would not. Now, if a vaccine became available for 10 and under, uh, what would have to what would it have to contain? What's the, what number should, should it have to reveal for you to support that? And by the way, if there was an active outbreak in that area, you know, I might feel a little differently. But there's not. There's no COVID k- child who's critically ill in that region that I know of from talking to the doctors in that area. So, you know, the blanket recommendation not only didn't count kids with special needs, which is a lot. It didn't count background level of infections. didn't count immunity, which is 40 percent of adolescents now. And so uh, if the vaccine were available for younger kids— I'd probably be cautious about the dose. They have a track record of using a dose that's too high in in kids. I don't think a 13-year-old who's thin, a thin 13-year-old girl should be getting the same dose as a big 50-year-old 50-year-old heavy man, yet that's what they've been doing. Guess what? They're seeing cardiomyelitis after the second dose. And in Israel, 100 uh, the first dose was 100% effective. So why do a second dose in young kids? I'd probably uh, recommend uh, a go with the low dose. Now, Merck, uh, sorry, Pfizer re- realized that the dose was probably too high in teens after they saw 50 per million kids after the second dose get myocarditis. And so they revised the planned dose they were going to do in the trial under 12. So they've acknowledged this, even though public health officials in the White House basically already decided what the trial is going to show, even though the results are not yet published. Very interesting. Um, I'm getting a lot of people who are upset about Anthony Fauci saying, I'd rather put a mask on a kid and say, I'm glad I didn't want to take that chance. What about, well, uh, what about if people are taking the vaccine? It turns out the vaccine ends up not being effective. They took a chance on that. When do you stop with the the chances? I guess that's one of the other things. And we had a doctor on our channel say we should put an N95 mask on, on kids because they're more effective than the cloth mask. Would you be against that? I mean, sending the kid to the International Space Station is effective in reducing transmission. But at some point, when are we depriving them of their livelihood? And we got to balance this with the risk of COVID in healthy kids. It's almost negligible in terms of serious, severe illness. So, I, you know, my issue is they've made their minds up without looking at the data. We don't have good data. And by the way, oral therapeutics are looking promising is there a chance that maybe we'll have a good oral therapeutic before we get the vaccine in kids? People are ignoring that. I, I like Molniprevir. It had a great phase two trial result. It's made by Merck. Its phase three trial is ongoing right now. What if we get a good oral antiviral 
They've already made up their minds without seeing the data. That's the problem. And by the way, with natural immunity, which you referenced 30% healthcare workers have not gotten vaccinated. That's because a lot of them have natural immunity. Remember, they were around COVID a lot early on. So they're, they're smart people and they're realizing, hey, my immune system is activated and it's effective and the data are very strong despite the sham interpretation of the of a study the CDC put out on Friday on Kentucky. And so that's why they've held off on vaccination. Interesting. Dr. McCurry, now we understand in Texas, they were saying, hey, elective surgeries, let's put it off. The hospitals are getting crowded. Same in Florida. Is that what your sources are telling you? And if so, why are the some of the patients younger? Is there something about this virus, this this uh, uh, derivative variant? I don't think so. I think it's just because it's more contagious. We always knew those with no immunity were eventually going to get the virus. We, we always knew that. We thought it was going to be seasonally seasonal, seasonal with a stretched out low epidemic curve each winter. But Delta changed that game and it just accelerated it. So the roughly a third of the population that has no immunity right now is getting hit hard. And that's a lot of the kids. Now, they, they're more resilient. But the kids, people coming into the hospital who are non-immune tend to be younger. Remember, 90% of seniors have vaccinated immunity and half of the those who don't have natural immunity. So 95% of seniors are protected, people over 65. We're not seeing them in the hospital. It's younger people who have comorbid conditions. And it is a reminder that for those who died of COVID yesterday, it's about 400 people. They were, they were all non-immune and people should, who adults who don't have immunity should Get their vaccine quickly because it is this virus is coming for you quickly. And you would like this answer to this question. How many kids suffering right now have pre-existing conditions? What, what would the answer to that question help you with? I think it's 100 percent. I mean, I think this virus is surgically selective. It targets those with obesity and sickle cell disease and other uh, issues that we've described in the past. So. For those kids, um, th- we've got to protect them. We've got to be careful. We've got to make sure they get the vaccine if they're eligible, even if it's one dose. There's a fair amount of protection there. But it's real. Hospitals are getting – remember, hospitals are normally overrun. That's what people don't realize. They're normally functioning with just-in-time capacity. So when they say, oh, the hospital is overloaded, it's overrun, hospitals are normally at the brink. They're normally full. So it doesn't take much to tip them over. Now, some hospitals are really getting hit hard, and I've talked to these hospitals in the Sun Belt. The good news is uh, the Delta – wave is starting to show signs of rolling over. Missouri was the first state to get hit hammered with Delta, and their data this morning shows it's starting to peak right now. Nice. Dr. Marty McCary, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Go pick up his right, book, thanks. The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare. Thanks, doctor. Thanks so much. Hey, when we come back, one of the most exciting times of the show, when I find out if there's indeed a need to know more. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, I just got to give some news right now. The Senate passes an infrastructure bill after a group of Democrats and Republicans rallied to assemble the deal. A uh, long rumored kind of started the show that way. It looked as though as many as 20 Republicans would vote for it. It looks like it's 69-30. Uh, vote follows a week of the turbulent uh, back and forth. The big uh, sticking point was some uh, taxing cryptocurrency. Uh, most of them, most people don't even know what that is. So we'll see how this goes. One point one trillion, and then right away Schumer just comes in and says, "I'm now I'm going to put three point five trillion forward." But following that, now Governor Cuomo is speaking, and he is going to show everybody how much he's going to fight 
throwing everyone under the bus and accusing basically the accusers of him of lying, of sexual harassment. So let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Primetime ratings for the Tokyo Games were down 42% from 2016 to when they were in Rio. They averaged $15.5 million in primetime, which is pretty significant in this fractured world. That's down from $26.7 billion, uh, primetime viewers. Listen, Japan didn't want it. It was delayed for a year. Uh, the U.S. got more goals and more total medals. To show you our mindset, we're saying, well, we did so much better in 2016. They rallied the last day, got more goals than China, and by far had more, more medals than anybody else. I don't understand why we can't even be happy about that. Well, that's a good point. But, I mean, did you watch anything in primetime I this tried. Year? I could not find it. I wanted to watch some decent things, but every time I put it on, something I had no interest in. You know, rhythmic gymnastics, I can appreciate that. I can't appreciate it, but I appreciate that they tried hard at it. Mm-hmm. You know, volleyball, water polo, I'm, you know, I'll visit them. But I would like to have seen the basketball team. I would love to have seen uh, the two boxers that got silver medals. I would love to have seen more wrestling up before the last day. So I, I like it the fact that these, these sports gets to get their moment. I think they could have done a much better job giving us the better sports at the right time. That could be true. I agree with that. The thing is, too, with the, all the editing is just painful to watch. You can't get into any one thing because you're on two synchronized divers, and then they move on to something else. And I really don't know who these people are. Right? <laughs> I got to know who they are. Uh, next, Vogue is ripped as frauds for a glowing feature on Jen Psaki after a four-year hiatus. Uh, they published this feature. Uh, Annie Leibovitz, the legendary photographer, spotted snapping pictures of her. Uh, end of the magazine's four-year hiatus. They said they didn't want to do it during the Trump years. Um, uh, Vogue told uh, Saki told Vogue that she hates being described as nice. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I was introduced to a foreign delegation in the hallways the other day. This is Jen. You may have seen her doing the briefing. She's really a nice person. I'm really. Uh, she said. I'm like really. You can't think of a better description. Is it bad to be called nice? No, but she thinks that it is a, a sexist word, and it's a little diminishing. Really? Yeah. If you're nice, you're sexist. Do you feel that way? Honestly, do you? No. If someone says, I met Allison. And she's a nice person? No. I mean, it's also then relative, right? If you're introducing five men, you list all of their accomplishments, and then Saki, who may, who has them as well, and say, she's nice, then maybe. That's a problem. Next. Ellen's farewell message sounded like this. She's no longer doing the Ellen DeGeneres show. Two decades of television. Hundreds of scares. Uh, oh, oh, oh. 4,000 guests. Come on. Oh. Almost half a billion given away. Oh, my God. Countless lives changed. We want to give each right. one of you a solid And one thankful host. At one point, I thought she was she was doing a great job. She was different. She was a go-to person. When it came out behind the scenes, she wasn't a nice person. But Again, I, Nice. And then nice, she blew up a career. If we called Ellen nice, she'd still have a talk show. Maybe. I think this season should be good, hopefully. And you know what? She finds a way to, like, reinvent herself. So I'm optimistic. Thanks for listening. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.